Today, I want to share with you a message here in just a moment, and we'll be in Colossians chapter 1. That's where we'll share our scripture from. But before we do, I want to talk, share with you a couple of things about about cooking. Something I have no knowledge about whatsoever. I'm really naive and very ignorant when it comes to the kitchen. I know how to microwave popcorn, that's about it. My wife understood this very early in our marriage. The first year of our marriage, I tried one evening when she was working late to fix her some spaghetti for dinner. And I declare, it seemed like there was more spaghetti sauce on the walls and the counters than in the spaghetti itself. For her, I promise, it was not the thought that counted when she came home and saw the mess I had made. As a matter of fact, you know, code may call for it for one reason, but I believe, I'm convinced the houses we live in have a doorway on both ends of the kitchen because she wants me to walk through the kitchen and not stop to cook or bake or anything along that line. This, this is really how bad it is. This is how bad it is. The other day, Sandra had left the kitchen went to the back room and there were eggs in water boiling on top of the stove. The water was spilling over onto the stove and I happened upon it. And you know what I did? I called my mother-in-law to come in and fix the situation. I do, however, in my very, very limited knowledge, I do know that it takes certain ingredients to bake a cake. And I do know that all the ingredients are important. I do know that when you go to fix a special dish, you have to have all the ingredients to make the dish successful. Can I tell you today that God wants His church to be successful? Can I also show you, tell you that there are, there are ingredients that have to be present in a church for it to be successful? And with that, I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to read from Colossians chapter 1. The scripture says, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ, which are at Colossus, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since you heard, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world and bringeth forth fruit as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God 
in truth. Would you pray with me this morning, Father? We bless you today. Thank you for the privilege to be in your house. Thank you for the honor to worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, as we come to the breaking of the bread of life, we pray that you would illuminate our minds and our hearts to the understanding of Scripture. Speak to us individually. Speak to us corporately as a body. And may we receive what it is that the Spirit and the Word want us to receive today. We give you glory and honor and praise for these things. In Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. The ingredients of a successful church. You and I are the church. The Greek word for the church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. It means the called out ones. God has a calling upon us individually. God has a calling upon us as a body. The church is a great institution, the local church. It's an organization that is precious in the eyes of God. In fact, it is so precious that Acts chapter 20 tells us that Jesus bought the church with his own blood. The church that Christ not only purchased with his own blood, he is also building. And according to Matthew chapter 16, as Christ builds the church, even the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the Lord. This local church is God's prized possession. It's made up of his children, the sheep of his flock, and it has the ordained purpose of being a hospital for hurting souls that need to encounter and experience Jesus. I am really, really, really happy that I am part of the church. But what makes a church successful, in man's opinion? I have polled out people. I like to do this. I did it this week, talking to an individual on the phone. I, I poll out people uh, in, uh, personally and in group sessions because I'm always interested in learning more. That question, what makes a, a church successful? Man's answers are often found uh, as follows. Well, I think a church is successful if I feel like it's a place that I can belong. I feel like a church is successful if they have a dynamic music program. I feel like a church can be successful if the children and the youth and the young adult ministry is, is really on the move and progressive and moving forward. Maybe an answer for some, there have actually been people that have looked for churches and aligned themselves with churches because they found out the churches were community involved, heavily involved in community activity. Or maybe they were uh, zealous on, on, on political and moral issues that, that, were, that were present in the day in which, in which they were found in. You'd be surprised at why people land at churches like they do. I saw a cartoon one time that showed a couple. They were talking to the head usher, and they said, we're looking for a new church. Could we see today's coffee menu? Or uh, there was a Sunday school teacher that was asking her young adult class. She asked the question, how can we grow our class? And someone yelled out, coffee. Someone else yelled out, more coffee. And then some smart Alex said, how about better coffee? 
Now, I'm not, I'm not narrow-minded to believe that you should not have a special things going on in the church, special events and opportunity for growth. In my pastoral, pastoral experience, I've had children's days and golden warrior days and special military days and Christmas and Easter productions, and all of these are good and all of these are necessary. But the Bible gives us special ingredients that will make us pleasing to God's eyes, not just pleasing to man's eyes. And when there are no big events and no big hurrahs and no big splashes on on the Lord's day or or during a particular season, we can still be approved of God when these ingredients are present. You say, well, what, what are those ingredients? Well, what makes a church successful in God's eyes? Well, apparently, There's three things that make a local church successful in the eyes of the Heavenly Father. We find them today in Colossians chapter 1, and you find the first in verse 4 where it says, faith in Jesus Christ. The second thing you also find in verse 4, love to all the saints. And the third thing you also find present there, and that is in verse 5, and it says, hope that is laid up in heaven. These three things are all spelled out, faith, love, and hope. They're all spelled out to the Colossian church. God commends them for having these three elements present. You say, well, pastor, there are churches that are different, so how do you know this is what God would look for in every church? Well, uh, when I looked at a different church in the New Testament than the Colossian church, I went over to the church from Thessalonica, or the church of the Thessalonians, and listened to what it said in chapter 1 and verse 3. It said, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and your labor of love and your patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. You see it there again. You see faith, you see love, and you see hope. And then you go over to the Ephesian church in chapter 1, verse 15, and also in verse 18 in Ephesus, Paul wrote and said, I heard about your faith. He said, I heard about your love unto all the saints. And then he said, oh, that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Are you getting the picture? Different than Ephesus, different than Thessalonica, different than the Colossian church. One more, you can go to the Corinthian church and you will find these words when the question is asked, and now abides what? Faith and hope and love. Now I want to tell you something today, friends. I am convinced that if the New Testament churches in Colossus and Thessalonica and Ephesus and Corinth, if they were all addressed with the same essential ingredients and they were all New Testament churches and it's all under the inspiration of God Almighty, then why should the Pulaski Church of God be any different? If this was the constant that was found in these four New Testament churches, then wouldn't you imagine that this must be the mandate of the Heavenly Father? And let me tell you, we have a Heavenly Father that just doesn't look on the outward. He doesn't, he's not real interested in the lights and the media and all of the decor near as much as he is interested in what is happening in the heart of the church and in the heart of 
of the individual. He is a God that looks not on the outward, but he looks on the inward. And I'll tell you, I am blessed. We are blessed to have the lights and the sound and the comfort. We're, we're thankful to have the media, the latest and the cameras and the technology. We are blessed to have the ministries and the staff and the programs. But aside from it all, we must be a church that is filled with faith and love and hope. Well, somebody say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I want to tell you, not just any faith is going to do it. Faith in man will not do it. Man will fail you. The church doesn't need another superstar. We've had enough of them. We've had them come and we've had them go. We've had them rise up to stardom and fame only to fall on their face when the stardom and fame got to them and they started serving the, the ministry instead of serving the God of the ministry. We've had enough of them. But I've come by to preach a simple truth. Faith in Jesus Christ alone is what is acceptable to God. Can I tell you today, I've had this experience all throughout my years of pastoral ministry and that is too many in the local church have pastoritis. They're following a man. I'm telling you that's why pastors vacation so secretly is so people won't lay out a church when the pastor's out. It's truth. It's truth because people get their eyes upon a man. It's a tendency to get your eyes upon a man. But I've come by to tell you we need to put our faith in him who the world rejected. We need to put our faith in him whose cross is an offense. We need to put our faith in him whose doctrine even discomforts others. Our faith is not in ourselves or in our own abilities. Our faith is not in a priest or a pastor or a charismatic personality or man's intellect. Our faith is in him and him alone looking unto Jesus the author and the finisher of our faith. Well, praise God on Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Your faith, your faith today in this church is producing miracles. Not in the church itself, but in the Lord that is in charge of this church. That's what's producing miracles in the body of Christ. Your faith in God for your pastor produces preaching and teaching from your pastor to help you grow as a Christian. It is my, I'm telling you right now, I stand up in here and I stand up week after week and Sunday morning and Wednesday night to declare the word of God. And I, the reason that I'm able to do it is because you have faith in Jesus to touch your preacher, to help him, to communicate the word of God so that you can grow in your walk with Christ. It's your faith doing it. Your faith it sees the mind's vision become a reality. I'll never forget the day I pulled up. I've I shared it with you a few weeks ago. I pulled up onto the property, and what Sandra and I saw was a big old gaping hole with a metal fence around it. I'm telling you, but your faith didn't give up. Your faith didn't give in. Your faith saw the vision in your mind's eye, and today it has become a reality because of the faith that is in the body of Christ. Your faith is what keeps the resources coming and keeping the church going in the right direction. I'm telling you, the church has a future not because of one 
one personality or another, but it's because you're looking to God, knowing that faith is the substance of things hoped for, it's the evidence of things not seen. It works in your life. It works in your family. It works in your church. So whatever you do, always stay true to your faith in the Lord. Be responsible for your faith. Live the life right. Live out your faith. Live it at home, at work, at the store, when you're out of town. (laughs) Did you know that secret and Christian are two words that do not belong together? Those words do not belong together. When you're people of faith, you're not secretive about it. You want people to know. So you have to be responsible for your faith. And you also have to be responsible to your faith. Don't deny your faith after God does something for you. I'm telling you, you need to share it with the believer, and you also need to share it with the heathen. (laughs) Even if they don't like it. Even if they call it coincidence. Get it off of your chest, because at some point in the future, you'd be surprised... You'd be surprised how many on the workplace may make fun of you one day, but six months later when they're going through the darkest valley of their life, who are they going to be looking for? They're going to be looking for that crazy Christian that had faith in God to bring about a miracle. They're going to seek you out and say, hey, look, I know I made fun of you before, but there's something about you that's different than anyone else in the workplace, and I believe if you pray for me, God will do something for me. Be responsible to your faith. We pray, God answers, and we testify about it to others. You prayed about it. You agonized about it. Maybe you even wept over it. And part of the exposure of your faith is people seeing the answer to it and being touched by it. Now, not everybody's going to applaud But stand by and stand for your faith. Maybe you heard the story about the little town. And in the little town, an owner decided to open a a very questionable nightclub right on Main Street. It was the only club. They had never had a club before. It was very questionable. And in that same town, there was only one church. And so the church organized an all-night prayer meeting and asked God to remove or shut down this very questionable church. Lightning struck the club. Burn the club to the ground. The owner of the nightclub sued the church for praying for this to happen. And in court, the church denied responsibility, leaving the judge to say this after hearing both sides. Wherever the guilt may lie, two things are for certain. The nightclub owner believes in prayer and the church doesn't. (laughs) 
I have a philosophy with my faith when I'm standing for my faith. I'm going to work as though everything depends upon me, but I'm going to pray and believe as though everything depends upon God. That ought to be a motto for every child of God. Give everything you've got for your faith. Give everything you've got to the kingdom of God. And then when you get down to pray, say, God, I can't do this on my own, but I trust you. I believe you. And then when you see that miracle come down the hatch, you don't just give God glory for it. You make sure the people around you know this is an answer to prayer because I stand for my faith. second ingredient that God looks for in the church is love, the right love, the right love, love for all people, love for all your brothers and sisters in Christ, love for those that you get along with, love for those that you don't get along with. Now, that is not a given. I have known believers. (laughs) I've met many of them. Pulaski's no exemption. I've had people that would imply to me that they would just as soon love a stranger than someone in the same church with them. That's kind of hard to hear. Well, it was fun to say it to you. Because it's truth. I knew a man many years ago that I worked with in the shipyard. I'll never forget this. This, this left an indelible impression upon me. I'll never forget this man saying this to me. He he was a professing believer. He said he was a Christian, but there was a supervisor he couldn't stand. And one day he looked at me, and this is what he said. If that man was in a burning building, I would not go in after him. That's not the kind of love that God's talking about. (laughs) Last time I checked, he said, love your enemies. (laughs) Pray for those who despitefully use you. Those that abuse you, those that mistreat you. Last time I checked, Jesus said, turn the other cheek when you're smitten on one cheek. Love, that kind of love is what wins God's favor. Love will win the heart of people. Oh, they may come back to church a second time if they like the message. And they may visit occasionally if the music stirred them. But I'm telling you, they will continue to come if they feel like they're loved in the body of Christ. I know there are eternal pessimists out there. There may be someone here this morning that's that way. Bruce Lansky wrote, he said, the only place you're sure to find love is at the end of the letter from your mother. (laughs) But I want to say, hey, Bruce, I disagree. Because if I really believe the Bible, if I really believe the Word of God, that it was inspired of the Holy Spirit, men were moved upon by God, it came from the throne of heaven. If I really believe the Word of God is eternally settled in heaven, if I really believe that the, the flower withers and the grass uh, fades, but the Word of the Lord shall endure forever, if I really embrace the truth of Scripture, then God said to four different New Testament churches, I see the love that you have. And I believe the love that was found in Thessalonica and Colossae and Ephesus and Corinth, and I believe it's present in the Pulaski Church of God. Oh no, we're not perfect, but I have met people that love me unconditionally. Why? Because they love Jesus, and out of an overflow of their relationship with Jesus, their love has spilled on to me. Can I just admit something to you? I'm closer to many of you in this room 
than a lot of my own physical family. It's true. How does that happen? Because there's something about the love of God that gets inside of you. And if you're going to be the church, if we will be the church God wants us to be, then love must be present. And it must be active to and among all people. The Bible does not teach God is money. The Bible does not teach God is family. The Bible does not teach God is preaching. But the Bible does teach that God is love. The scripture says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means God's the one that initiated it, which means that that is the kind of love that we have to have. The scripture says, Jesus, his own words, greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. We have to love like God and how he commended love, and we have to love like Jesus and how he sacrificially loved by laying down his life for us. We must love as a church if we're going to be pleasing to God. And not just any kind of love will work. There's a phileo love, Greek word called phileo love, and it's the type of love that says, I will love, but I'm expecting something in return. I will love if it fits my agenda or preconceived ideas. That's, not, that, that's a deficient love. That's not God's love. God's love in God's church is agape love that says, I will give and I will love sacrificially and I will expect nothing in return. You can't come up with that love on your own. I've met a lot of people that are unbelievers. I've never met an unbeliever with agape love. You can't have agape love until you first have a relationship with Christ, and then God miraculously deposits agape love inside of you, and then you find yourself forgiving people you never thought you'd forgive. You find yourself talking to people of a different color you thought you'd never talk to. All your preconceived notions go, my God, thank you, Holy Ghost. All your preconceived agenda goes out the window. Why? Because you've got God love inside of you now. And God love says, I'm going to love anyone and everyone, no matter what. No matter their age, color, or creed, or background, or religion, or stand on political issues, I love you, and I will do for you no strings attached. No strings attached. That's God love. And that's what God's looking for in His church, that kind of love. Now, I'm going to tell you, and man, I'm preaching to myself right here. These days, in the hot political climate, sometimes we forget to love like Jesus loves. And we need to hit the pause button. Sometimes in the highly charged racial climate that we find ourselves in, we forget to love like Jesus loves, and we need to hit the pause button. Come on, help me here. In the quickly eroding moral climate that we find ourselves in, we forget to love like 
Jesus loves. I'm telling you, over the last few months, I've had to do some, oh, Lord, you're going to help me. have to help me here. I mean, I want to jack slap somebody. I'm not feeling a whole lot of love sometimes. And I have to pray. I have to pray through it. God, you got to help me here. You know, sometimes it's, it's challenging to stand for righteousness and love unconditionally. What are some characteristics of this love? Well, scripturally, do good to all, especially those of the household of faith. Distribute to the necessity of the saints. Loving fellowship. Getting together. Some of y'all need to invite another couple out to a steak dinner. You ain't fellowshiped in a while. You become a recluse. Quit being a recluse. There's a real world out here. There's people in here that could strengthen you and nurture you. There's people you could strengthen and you could nurture. We still believe in fellowship, don't we? Bearing with others' infirmities. Knowing that love covers a multitude of sins. I tell you, it's a beautiful thing when I watch and see a seasoned saint that will take on a struggling Christian or an unbeliever that started coming to church but they still got this addiction and this enslavement that has their life bound in chains. But then there's one, there's this brother or this sister that comes alongside them and says, you know what? I'm going to sit with you every Sunday. We're going we're to spend some time together. There's no way I'm going to let you take this journey on your own. That's, that's the love of God. Hello, y'all out there this morning? Extending a hand to someone, even if it risks Tarnishing your own image. Holy Spirit brings it to my mind of a time when we were pastoring in the Shenandoah Valley in Front Royal. There was a town drunk named Mickey. And he spent more time in jail than he did out of jail. He was a regular to the town jail. But for some reason, he loved to come by the church. And, and Mickey could throw you all kinds of curves. He could do things that would drive you nuts. <clears throat> and then he could do things that would touch your heart. One my first, our first Easter at the church. We hear this knock on the door at like six in the morning. And we go downstairs and Mickey has gotten us a white stuffed animal for Easter. And he's attached it to the front door. Oh, but he reeked. Oh, he reeked of alcohol. I mean, I had never smelt anyone that reeked as much as Mickey did. There was a long walkway to the office coming up to the annex building that was next to the church building, and boy, we'd hear him coming. Sandra being in the office going, Mickey's here! And if he walked into the office when he left... I mean, the church people would think me and my wife were having a drunken party in there because the 
atmosphere, the paint on the walls, the ceiling tiles, everything would reek. I said, we've got to find a solution to this. This ain't good. So every day, and he didn't come every day, but he'd come by about once a week. He'd come staggering up the steps, and we'd hear him walking across that wooden plank, those wooden, that wooden decking, and you could tell it was him. Sandra said, Mickey's here. I said, well, it's time to go check the mail. We may have already checked the mail, may have already gotten in the mail for the church, but every day that he would come by, me and Mickey would walk to the mailbox. Never forget Mickey. God really taught me a lot through Mickey. Oh, I had to call the law on Mickey. Mickey did some rough things sometimes. But God told me, don't ever give up on Mickey. A couple of Easter's went by. I'd invite Mickey to come to church. I'll preach. I'll come by one day. One day he looked at me. We had made our trip to the mailbox. We're on our way back, and he said, Preach! His big old scraggly thick beard, and oh, my goodness, he reeked. He said, You're not going to see me for a while. I said, Are you okay, Mickey? Besides your occasional trip to the jail, are you serious? I mean, are you okay? Just not going to see me for a while, preach, and then you'll see me. About three weeks went by. I walk out on Easter Sunday morning. I'm greeting everybody, and this man I'd never seen before is sitting there in a suit, clean shaven, no alcohol smell. I told you, preach. I told you you'd see me before too long. I'd love to tell you. I would love to stand here and tell you that I was able to lead Mickey to Christ. I asked about him just a few weeks ago. As far as I know, Mickey's passed on. But Brother James, God taught me a lot of things through Mickey. He taught me no matter what, you have to love like God does. You have to love like Jesus does. It may hurt your image. It may smell up your clothes. Bigoted people, prejudiced people may not appreciate you being with that person of a different culture or ethnicity. But you just keep loving like Jesus loves. Some characteristics of this love. How do we present this love? We do it brotherly. We do it with sincerity, not in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth, because people can see. They can see through our pretense. They can see through our hypocrisy. We do it from a pure heart. We do it fervently. I love this. Have fervent love amongst yourself, passionate love, zealous love. Some of you know someone right now that's kind of gotten lost through the cracks. Fervent love in you says, I'm going after them. The ingredients, again, are strong faith, right love, and then finally, hope. What does God look for in the church? Do they have faith? Do they have my kind of love? 
Do they have eternal hope? See, the unbeliever, the sinner, hopes tomorrow to be better than today. That's the way they live. They're hoping for more riches, more recognition, long life, prosperity. They hope for domestic peace. Every bit of hope within a lost person is within the range of his physical vision. That's why millions are spent daily at the lottery machines. I sit in Subway here in town, and I watch people constantly, regularly at the lottery machine because they want what can be given to them and gratify them in this life, in this world. That's why the Internet is surfed. That's why the cork is popped and the needle is inserted and the drag is taken and the pills are popped. They're all looking for escape. They're looking for hope. But friend, our hope is beyond the sphere of our sight. Our hope is to that which we see not, and yet with patience we wait for it. That's why Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15 and 19, if in this life only we had hope, we'd be of all men most miserable. But can I tell you, my hope is not in this world. I am only a pilgrim and a sojourner and a nomad that is passing through. I'm like Abraham. I'm looking for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Peter says we're begotten unto a lively hope. I'm telling you, when Jesus deposited his salvation in inside of me, I began to live not for this world, but for another world. Hallelujah. It's not a fable. It's not a story or fantasy. It's reality. This world is not our home. You can invest in this whole world if you want to. But one day, everything in this world will be consumed by the elements of fervent heat. But when you're a child of God and you live that way, oh, praise the Lord. We need to get our hallelujahs back, our universal. We need to get our maranathas back. Oh, what does that mean? Jesus is coming. I've said it a lot here lately. Somebody said I've had... Probably 10, 20 people say to me in the last several months, oh, I don't know how this world can get any better, I'll tell you. And you know what my response is? Yes, I'm looking for Jesus to come back any moment. <laughs> I'm looking for that blessed hope. John writes and he says, every man that has this hope purifies himself even as he also is pure. So let me get ready to close. And listen to me very carefully. Because I think that many churches operate with two of the three ingredients. And they end up a half-baked church in the eyes of God. Is that possible? Well, I don't know. Let me give you an example. Maybe there's a church that will preach faith in Jesus and hope of his return but will fail to display love for others and become exclusive if they don't fit our mold. Mm. <laughs> I'm going to put this statement on the record. I love our church, 
but I don't want our church to stay like it is. I am not interested in being an older, Caucasian, well-off church. And you shouldn't be interested in that either. Woo! Oh, what a way to finish a sermon, huh? God needs to make us uncomfortable. We want him to send in people of the alternate lifestyle so they can meet Jesus. We want him to send in people of color because they are part of the body of Christ. We want him to send in those that are in poverty so that they can experience the riches of his good grace. Send in the pierced. Send in the tatted. Y'all out there? I got no story to tell. This is a great story. I love it because it happened right down the road here to my friend. Faster friend. I may have shared it on Wednesday night. I don't know if I've shared it on Sunday, but it's just great. A guy gets saved. He's moved to this area. He's from California. Comes from California. He gets saved. He's a brand new Christian. Doesn't have any church background at all. No church background. Doesn't know anything about church. But he's, he's sitting around, and he loves the sermon. And he sees people saying, amen, praise the Lord. He don't know what all that means. But he agrees with what the preacher says. So while the preacher's preaching, he's going, you blank right? You blank right? Y'all get that in a minute. He was cursing because he was agreeing. He didn't know any different. He just was agreeing with what the preacher said. That would mess y'all up, wouldn't it? Somebody comes rolling up in here and they stand up on their feet and say, Preacher Jones, you blank right? awesome y'all would be squirming and I would be rejoicing because it doesn't matter how deep the pit they come from as long as we have the love of God and the hope of a future and faith in a Lord that can save them and set them free that's what we want to be a successful church in the eyes of God I wish somebody would give the Lord praise Stand with me if you would. God, help us. Help us to have all the ingredients. Well, successful. I don't want to be a half-baked church. Close your eyes, would you, for a moment. We're going to take and make the time to be a church that loves everyone that passes out faith to everyone, that inspires hope in everyone. We're going to pick our faith up. We're going to let our light shine. We're going to stand on our hope. And we're going to do it this very moment. Because here's what I know. There may be someone here that has never asked Jesus into their heart. And I want them to know 
that they can find grace and peace and mercy at the foot of the cross. I sensed in my spirit maybe maybe there's a believer. Maybe there's a believer. You're, you're a professing Christian and you have Jesus in your heart and life is just really doing a number on you right now. And your faith is weak and you need prayer. Or maybe, maybe you're here and, and your love is compromised because you're living in a fence and you need the Lord to, to heal your, your love, your love, your love. Maybe you're here and you're consumed with the challenges of this world and you just need the Lord to give you a fresh dose of hope that, you're, that your, your future is not in this world. I don't know if you need prayer. If you need prayer, say, Lord, I, Lord, I'm struggling in my faith. I'm struggling in my love. I'm struggling in my hope. I don't know. Is there anyone in the room? You just say, preacher, I need prayer today. And I'm going to step out from where I am, and I'm going to come up front, and I'm going to stand across this altar because I need God to increase my faith. I need God to heal my love. I need the Lord to to paint a new portrait of hope. Come on. Come on. I know you're here. I know you're here. We're all family here, folks. We're all family here. There's nothing wrong with saying, hey, I'm a little deficient in my faith or a little deficient in my love or a little deficient in my hope, and I need prayer. I'm telling you, Lord, I'll answer prayer this morning. Come on. Thank you for coming. I appreciate the, the handful of honest hearts. That would just say, you know what, I'm struggling today in these in one of these areas, maybe two of these areas, maybe in all three of these areas. Oh, I'm a Christian. I, I, I trust God. I trust Jesus. I've asked him into my heart. But I'm just struggling today. I'm just struggling today. Hallelujah. I'm just struggling today. I'm just struggling today. How about if I could get a, a few spirit-filled men and women of God just to come and stand behind them? I'm not looking for you to share a word right now. I'm just asking you to come. I'm going to lay hands on them. We're going to pray for them. I'm going to ask the church family to extend your hand this direction. We're going to pray for them. If you got to go, go. But, but, but please, for a few moments, this is your family up here. This is your family up here. Show them some love. Show them some faith. Show, show them some hope today. Hallelujah. Here I am, Lord. Lord, I don't know what, what the specific need is. I don't know if it's faith, hope, or love. But I'm asking you, Lord, today to replenish it in her life. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, you're faithful today. Yes, you're faithful today. Come on, pray, saints. Just a few moments of praying. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God, may they feel right now the amazing extension of their church family's faith and hope and love. May they feel the, the boundless love, the boundless faith, the boundless hope through this preacher's prayers. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We get discouraged sometimes, but God, you're still our healer. You can reverse the course of anything that comes against us. And we thank you and we praise you. Oh, 
Don't you love Jesus today? Don't you love the Lord today? 